Hello and welcome to a very different Starts One podcast with me, James York, on introductory duties and Ted doing interviews. Uh, we've been in Los Angeles in the last few days and uh, spoke to uh, two people at LAFC. Uh, Will Kuntz, who's the Vice President of Soccer Operations and Assistant GM, and Head Coach Bob Bradley. Uh, hope you enjoy. All right, so Stats Bomb is on the road and we are here with Will Kuntz of LAFC, Los Angeles Football Club. Will, congratulations. You are our first external guest on the Stats Bomb podcast. Oh, sorry for you guys. So, for those people who don't know anything about Will, which is probably a lot of you, but we'll fix that. Tell us a little bit about Will Coons. What's your background first? Uh, I started uh, with the New York Yankees, spent 10 years there as a baseball operations intern, then uh, ran the pro scouting department. Um, 10 years? 10 years. Long time. Uh, formative years, 19 to 30. Then uh, in 2014, left Major League Baseball to go work for Major League Soccer. I was the director of player relations at the league office for three years. Uh, met John Thornton, our GM here, when we were across the table during the collective bargaining agreement negotiation. John was representing the players' union. Uh, I was representing management, so contentious start. But then John <laughs> got the job out here, and in uh, late 2016, uh, made me an offer. And I came out in March of 2017. I am our vice president of soccer operations and assistant GM. So you're not built like a soccer player. You're built more like A-Rod. Uh, may, maybe potentially, I don't know, a, a small forward. Yeah. Um, so I, I played Division three basketball in college. There we go. So, See? <laughs> uh, which was, I think, uh, charitably described once as uh, solid below the rim basketball. So in Division three, the, the small forward, actually, I could play up and be a, a power forward slash center. So. <laughs> Sorry. That, for, there are plenty of stats bomb people that actually like basketball. You know, it, it's okay to, to diverge into that. <laughs> Uh, so back to the baseball stuff there. So you spent a decade with the Yankees, mm-hmm. and you were actually there at kind of the really formative Yankees are changing, getting smart era. I, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Don't laugh at this. I've seen <laughs> so Will, Will occasionally shows up quoted as a source on on Yankees baseball last year in the in the playoffs. There was a great piece on the Athletic talking about how the Yankees had changed mm-hmm. and and really started to to use their budget in ways that were more effective. I guess. Yeah. Now. You spent time there in baseball. Does that translate here? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the data and what you can measure is very different uh, from baseball to football. We, we call it football here, so I'll just say it, uh, you know, football. But um, I think the, the biggest things are principles and understanding how, uh, you know, data is more like a scouting report and it has to tie to your philosophy. And so the ability to uh, sort of explain what data means in a way that makes sense to coaches in a way that is, you know, sort of... Uh, presentable and relatable is is really key. And so what we have tried to do here is something that we did with the Yankees is demystify the data and, and break it down and put it into real world terms and sort of talk about it as a philosophy. What are we trying to do? So, um, you know, at its simplest in baseball, it's, uh, you know, work counts and hit the ball hard when we swing. And then uh, defensively, it was, you know, throw as few pitches as possible and record as many outs as possible. And so we think that there are um, you know, sort of simple things that translate in the football world. Uh, and again, it's sort of starting with a big overarching philosophy and then slowly, and with input from the coaching staff, uh, you know, drill down a little bit further, get a little more granular and really start to sort of make sure that um, everybody is fluent and kind of understands what we are working with uh, and try and break down that barrier. Because I think a lot of the reticence that, that people who come from the field side and staff side have with data is that they just don't see how it translates to the game. And so that's been a, a primary focus of ours in the last uh, year and a half year. We spend a lot of time 
other places talking about. It's just information. You know, like you don't want people to be afraid of it. We're trying to provide you better information. At, and we say at scale, which means that instead of you watching the last couple of scouting matches, we give you the whole season or like multiple seasons of, of this type of information. And, and I think that translates back to it. Um, <clears throat> so where did we meet? So we met, it was 2014, I want to say fall of 2014. That was my first year at the league office at uh, the Y Scout Forum in London. <laughs> so we're standing in line to get our badges. Line, yeah, waiting online, there's badges, and there's, you know, agents everywhere, people everywhere. Um, I'm massively jet-lagged, and uh, I think you were in front of me, and all of a sudden just turned around and introduced yourself. I was like, oh, there's an American voice here. That's unusual. What's going on? And, uh, <laughs> and I had known you from an ESPN report about Michelin when I was with the Yankees, and we sort of, uh, the crew in our front office, sort of, and I was known as the soccer guy uh, in the front office of the Yankees. I always put games on. Yeah, we'd be in Saturday mornings before games, so you'd have Premier League games on, La Liga games on. Uh, and at first it was, hey, you know, turn this crap off. It's not American. <laughs> and then by the end, you know, there, there are still people there now who will watch games in the morning when they come in. But, There's a lot of Latin American influence yeah. as well, so, it's, you know, it's, yeah. it, it translates a little easier there. Although now I think, again, changing, probably the Women's World Cup. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, but your name had come up in this article about Michelin, and we said, oh, wow, that's really interesting. And then, you know, flash forward a couple years later, and right in front of me online. So when did you start with LAFC? So I started in, unofficially, I accepted after... After Thanksgiving in 2016, and then sort of the league kept me in the league office until March of 2017. Okay. But, uh, and so March of 2017, you have no team. Have no team. Walk me through that process. So, uh, you know, start off, it's John and I, and, and the first conversation, uh, you know, we have is, all right, well, how do we want to play? You know, what What is our sort of vision for the team that we want to put together? And we had, uh, you know, early on, it was apparent that we had sort of very similar ideas, and thoughts on types of players and teams that had been successful in the league and styles of play that we wanted to emulate. And so once you kind of have that down, which is great, you know, the next thing is, okay, who's going to be the coach? You know, who's our manager going to be? And I think that is a very, um, as you guys know, it's incredibly important because in football, it's not just, you know, X's and O's and tactics. It's so much more of like a, a what you have in an American college football coach where it's recruitment as well and uh, the ability to use different players in different ways. And so making sure that, you know, the manager that we selected uh, embodied uh, the playing style that we envisioned and, and would be able to sort of help us in what is incredibly important. You know, all seasons are very important, but certainly your first year as a new franchise, you got to make sure that you get it completely right. So. And when you were building this team, did you guys use data? Uh, we did. We... Um, to some extent. Uh, yeah, to some extent. You know, I'd say uh, <coughs> there were some things we looked at. It was such a... You know, it's it's such a grab bag in terms of year one. We're trying to you know, not just put our team together, but put our staff together. Right? And that's not just uh, you know the manager and his staff. That's sports science. You know, and so scouting, scouting. People uh, do not realize. So you build a team from the ground up, yeah. and the scouting load from choosing from potentially all of the players around the world, especially a place like Los Angeles, right. like you know, pretty big budget in terms of MLS, like real star power here, yep. and, and you've got everything that you have to do and and you know you kind of came on in march of 2017 you're like oh wow <laughs> yeah. and and you know with uh the way our league works with our salary budget it's uh you know there's some sort of I call them artificial constraints uh that we have to live with as well and so that they're means, real constraints for you they're artificial for the rest yes of the yeah <laughs> <laughs> this is this is true um but sort of knowing you know what pool of players you have available to you and at what level you can spend and so if you have 
a budget of you know, let's just say $10 million, uh, you can't spend $10 million across 10 players for our league rules, right? You can spend $10 million on three players or one player, um, but you know, you're sort of hamstrung in that way. And then so as we start to put us all together, you know, scouting included, when we talk about data, it's like, okay, most data providers offer a per league package, right? And so then it's almost like whack-a-mole. We sort of guess where do we think there's going to be good value. Um, you know, when you look at where teams have done well historically in MLS, and so we you know, I think correctly identified South America as a as a general region, but you know there are a lot of countries in South America. There are a lot of leagues, and well, I think you guys are a little off the beaten path for the other teams that have done it um, previously. Like you didn't focus as much potentially on Argentina, like the mm-hmm. the Atlanta model. Uh, team, I mean, you got Carlos Vela, who you know is Mexican, but was in Europe. Uh, I think you're. It feels like anyway, your net has been cast a little wider. Yeah, and you know it's important for us. Uh, to make sure that, again, with the, the league salary budget and salary rules, that we're finding good value. Um, and that includes, uh, you know, obviously sort of DP high transfer players like Carlos, uh, who's you know, an incredible player, but also making sure that we're shopping in markets that make a lot of sense for us financially. And so Argentina, you know, Brazil, to probably even greater extent, incredibly high-end talent, uh, you know, just massive, massive population of, of really top players, um, but many of them incredibly expensive. That sort of first cut, if you want to call it the, the blue chip crop from those countries, they tend to go right to Europe for big money transfer fees right off the bat. And so um, while getting data in those leagues was really great, it sort of became humbling very quickly. It was like, okay, well, he's a $20 million player. He's a $40 million player. This guy looks interesting. Oh, he just got linked to, you know, Juventus for, you know, $18 million. Can we get Vinicius Jr. and Rodrigo? <laughs> no? We don't have $80 million in the budget? Okay. Um, so apparently... You guys are pretty good this year? Uh, so far, touch wood, it's, it's early. Uh, uh, on pace to match the best season that anybody has had in the regular season? Mm-hmm. Of any team ever in MLS, like at least in the, the modern rules, like without the, the Goalie Wars shootouts. <laughs> right. <laughs> I miss Goalie Wars. Like, that, that, still we still need, one of my favorite bring it back, bits. You know, let's uh, liven up the uh, all-star experience. See, there are, content, uh, there are contentious elements inside of MLS that would allow for Goalie Wars to return. I will say the, uh, the <laughs> dribble in, the 35-yard penalty shootout should be instituted for the all-star game. I'm on record as saying that the league office, but I'll say it. When, when someone gets injured as part of that, I think you're also going to be on record. <laughs> the, the, li- the liability of elements are, are somewhat concerning these days, uh, especially with, you know, the top tier rest- squads and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, you are on pace for that. Now, given that you only have two DPs, do you, do you feel like, you know, DPs are overrated? No, 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 no <laughs> not at all. I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's a strength of our... The strength of our team is our our depth and our cohesion, and so I think uh, you know we have players who are not DPS who are playing and producing at a DP level. I think, and so um, you know we are very grateful for that. Uh, but I don't think you know you can you have to look at the league and you look at some of the top performers, and um, you know partly it's based on the positions that they play. But you know DPS are essential, I think, to every team. And uh, geez, in the last in the last five years, no team with fewer than three DPS. Trying to check myself mentally now, but I think every team that has won uh, MLS Cup has had three DPS. Yeah, but you know, Supporter Shield is the important one. <laughs> MLS Cup is the random thing at the end of the season. Listen, if you, if uh, if only that were true. Think, uh, <laughs> your your goal difference has a has a pretty strong indicator for the quality of this team this year. Um, and and in fact, like my my next question, and, and we'll probably wrap it up on that one is, can you get better? Absolutely, absolutely. I think uh, you know if you look at 
some of our games this year, you know, we've had some very good results that um, maybe put a, a pretty good shine on the game. But if you start digging, there are a few games out there where we maybe got a little bit lucky, uh, a little fortunate, could have gone a little deeper. So I think, uh, you know, certainly this is a time with the summer window opening up. You know, we're, we are fortunate in that we don't feel as if we absolutely need to add something. Uh, but I think certainly, you know, there's, again, there's so many players out there in the world. We have some salary budget space that uh, if the right players come along, uh, it's certainly it's something we can improve on. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time, sir. And good luck for the rest of the season. Thank you, guys. Greetings. Welcome to the Stats Bomb Podcast again. Uh, we had one guest so far this week, Will Kuntz. And now we have one Bob Bradley. Hi, Bob. How are you doing? Good, Ted. Good to see you again. You as well. It's, it's been a while since we saw face-to-face, but uh, occasionally contact uh, to talk about football, really. Yeah, no, either through message or uh, on the phone just to share some ideas. I enjoy it. Yeah, you, you're not, I think, nerd-phobic necessarily. And, and one of the things I think is really intriguing about you is like you're, you're one of the coaches that we've identified as like a really interested learner. Like you, you're, you're spry 61, I believe. Is what the Wikipedia said. Uh, does it say spry? I doubt it. <laughs> I am sixty-one. That's true. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, like at, at this point in in many coaches' careers, at least in my experience, you know, they feel like they've they've got what they've developed. They they've gone as far as they they want to. They feel they see how the game you know fits for them. And you are not necessarily like that. No, I'm a fan of Bruce Springsteen. So this idea that you stay current and that you reflect and. Um, that you're constantly thinking about your work and how to be better. I think that's important. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about last year. Uh, you guys did well in the debut season, um, but there was the, the first round sort of playoff exit. Uh, not, not necessarily first round, right? It was, a, it was, an early, was it the first round? No, first round. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, against uh, Real Salt, Salt Lake. Yep. And when we were looking at this and doing some research, it's a crazy game. So uh, I, I don't want to go back through the pain, but nevertheless, I, you know, we don't see things necessarily like you do. This was hugely unusual. 22 shots for Los Angeles, four for Real Salt Lake, uh, three goals to two, though, for, for RSL. And, and the weirdest one was two shots on target and those three goals. And you had a, another stat that you, you mentioned to us briefly uh, that you guys look at about, like, box entries. and Yes, in the way we play. Um... Our idea is still to try to play in the other half, try to win the ball back quickly. Um, we certainly feel that if it's difficult for the opponent to get into our box, then the chances of us being a good team defensively uh, go up. And, uh, you know, I think that, that you have principles of play. And, and even when you work every day with your defenders, uh, some teams are more about uh, reorganization, structure, defensive shape. Um, but we would believe a little bit more on, on how we step up, how we uh, put pressure on the ball. We have an expression, uh, defend the ball. Uh, it seems so simple, but uh, oftentimes you'll see a player returning to his sort of normal position and run right by the ball. And so for us, we, we tried to get across that if the closest guy can go and, and close the ball down and put pressure and everybody else can uh, make good decisions based on that, then it makes us a, a good team defensively. It allows us to win the ball in, in positions that hopefully turn into attacking advantages. 
So year on year, you guys have certainly stepped up a gear. And, and this year, I, I, I don't want to talk bad about the rest of the league, but you guys are dominating this league so far in the first half. What has changed to, to make that possible? We had a lot of carryover from uh, the first year. And I think the understanding of the group of, of the ideas that, that we build in every day, um, everybody sees the way we play. They feel good about it. They're part of something that, that when they come off the field on a good day, they all feel like that's a great way to play football. And so I think we were able to just continue and build on that. Um, we've added a couple of players. Eddie Segura in, in the defense picked up everything so quickly. He and Walker Zimmerman formed a great partnership. So you, you can't get away from the fact that, that when players come in and, and uh, are just talented and, and read the game and uh, aren't phased by anything, that, that's a huge plus. And, and this was Eddie from day one. When he arrived, he, he really doesn't speak English, but his ability to deal with three and four things around them and make good decisions and not be afraid to, to step up and make a play. Um, again, that, that is very much in the profile of what we look for with defenders as opposed to defenders that anytime the numbers don't look good, they, they just want to back up and back up and back up. So I think as a team, the idea is uh, we believe a lot in, in how attack and defense go together. And, and so our ability now to uh, play the right passes, play from inside, outside, but then be able to play back from outside, inside. Uh, that's, a, again, something that seems basic, but, but we think that that's an important part of the way we want to play. And, and so that as other teams are preparing against us, um, if they see, if they use data and they see that we win the ball often in the center of, of the field and they don't want to play in there, uh, in their buildup, then they may choose to, to play around us. But when we have the ball, then our ability to control things and to play inside means that they have to come in and defend us. So if we lose the ball, then we're in position to try to force things right from that moment. So we, we, we see all these things as working together. You mentioned uh, step up and make plays. I think Latif Blessing has been almost a revelation this year in, in how he's, he's been able to step into a role that I, I'm not sure that I'd seen him play before, but incredible how he's kind of functioned for you guys in, in the middle of the pitch very much. Latif is very much a natural footballer. Um, he's quick. He has incredible energy. Uh, he, last year, primarily played as an attacker, uh, mostly wide. Um, early this year, we used him a little bit as an outside back. But in training on certain days, uh, when we put him in the center, his pure ability to get after the ball, close down, put pressure on the opponent, pick up loose balls, um, these things absolutely uh, came through. Uh, and, and so he's adjusted well to the center of the field. And again, when you put together a midfield, uh, we talk a lot about our midfield three and how they must be in sync. Um, and he brings different qualities. So, so 
when you want to make sure in your midfield that you have somebody who can be a little bit more the one who gives the team purpose and a mission and somebody who um, still can, in the right moments, make final passes. Um, but when you have a midfielder who now brings this type of energy uh, and, and ability to react quickly, then uh, it really works. And so, yeah, I think there's, uh, when you look at different data points, you can find midfielders with different profiles. And certainly, so he goes into the one that's a little bit uh, like a Nabi Kaito or uh, Well, having that flexibility and, and is helpful Kante, too. Somebody who, yeah. who brings that. So uh, you, you never know in a team what, what is going to be the ingredient that, that you're missing. You know, you, you could take a little of what Latif has away, you know, and if we had a a uh, 24-year-old Javi, then maybe he wouldn't have the incredible numbers of pressuring that Latif has. But he would bring other qualities that may or may not show up on your data. <laughs> that's, that's where I always challenge you. And yet, you could still think that, look, um, that could be better. But for us this year, uh, in terms of the package of what Latif offers, uh, along with then the understanding with Edward Atuesta and Mark Anthony Kay, I think many games our midfield has uh, has really helped us set the tone in the game. I think your midfield is a pain in the ass to play against, and that's exactly why we like it. Good. Yeah, we, we think that's an important part of it as well. <laughs> so you're one of the few MLS coaches that has ever had like a huge gap in your time in the league. And, and you went very much on a coaching journey you know, through the United States national team, and then unusual for American coaches, like quite international. I think there are, there are some that are following on uh, behind your footsteps. Uh, Jesse Marsh is, is one that's... My boy Jesse is for... doing great. Yeah, I've, I've met Jesse as well. I'm very impressed by him too. Um, tell me how the league has changed uh, since the, the last time you were here in 2006, I think it was, and then come back about a decade later. Well, obviously many more teams. Um, I, I, I think... What I like is that now we see at least uh, a few more teams that have identities. Uh, so I don't think that there's one way to play. And, and I think it's important in a league where, um, again, based on budget, based on talent, uh, that you have teams with different identities, different ways of playing. And I think in the early days of the league, that was, for me, a little bit less the case. Now I start to see uh, that part. I think tactically, uh, many coaches have evolved. Uh, I think in, in the last couple of years, uh, with Tata Martino, with Mateus Almeida, now we also get the influence of, of uh, coaches from Argentina, maybe a little bit uh, then of uh, the Bielsa influence. So when those things all start to come together, then I think it's good for the league. So I, I, I think that part uh, is going in a good direction. How has your style evolved from that first era versus now? Or has it? Uh, I think I've continued to grow as a coach, but um, the ideas of football that I always had and then how to try to connect with a particular group of players and establish starting points as to how we want to play. Uh, uh, 
I've had more experience doing that, but I, I, I still think that that part has stayed the same. Uh, it's interesting. We should go back and collect some of the 2005-2006 era Bob teams and compare it to like the current era Bob teams and see how the style changes. Uh, yeah, but it depends on players. I mean, even if I took you all the way back, you're a Chicago guy, uh, 98, 99, 2000. Um, our fire teams were very good. Uh, we also had some incredibly talented, experienced European players. Peter Novak, Lubos Kubik, Christos Deutschkov. And, Big and Western boys uh, for university there, Indiana University. Yes, um, Dima Kovalenko. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the, the way that, that you try to organize a team like that... Um, if you, if you, many of those guys were very comfortable with the idea that in certain games that we would wait a little bit. Uh, and so we clearly were not a team at that time that focused on putting immediate pressure on the other team. Um, we were good with the ball. Uh, we could create chances. We had a real uh, good mentality. Um, but I would certainly say that if you looked at uh, pure ability to, to press and step up, it would be different. We were a team that could wait a little bit, uh, still take advantage of the space. So I think you still adapt a little bit based upon on the players. But I, I do appreciate that when you have a chance um, to start from scratch and when you can, can have the opportunity to take the experiences and the ideas uh, and turn it into something, that special doesn't always work that way. Uh, many times you go places in your coaching career where when you get there, you're just trying to get some points early and get your hands around everything. But uh, this time it's been, been a fun experience. U.S. national team is talented and the pool there is pretty good. Do you think that that team could execute the style that you're pulling off here in L.A. so successfully? Uh, maybe not exactly, but I, but I do think that uh, there are some players it's nice to cheat with Christian Pulisic, like just have that amount of talent out there. Yeah, look, I mean, Christian is a talented guy. I, I, I still personally like him playing from outside in. I agree. Um, because I think that uh, one of the things I, I really like in teams, and we've been able to do it here, is I, I really enjoy when you have attacking players who can play from outside in. So you have some version of three attackers. And, and then those wide attackers are not traditional wingers, um, but they are players that can receive the ball outside, can go by people on the dribble, outside or inside, um, that you have ways to get them on the move inside so that they are getting into the box and having opportunities to score. Uh, I mentioned Christos Deutschkov. So when you work for a couple of years with a player like that, uh, and he would constantly, uh, when he played with Ante Razov, uh, tell Ante to go to the other side of the field so that they were spread out. So oftentimes we didn't have a fixed number nine. And he took his experiences from Barcelona, where at times uh, Michael Laudrup was, was a version of a false nine, and, and how the other team didn't like it when there was no direct opponent for the central defender. And so I think that when you have three attackers uh, and they're wide attackers, like Christian, um, can come from outside, can get into the box. Um, I, I also like the part uh, that when a, a player gets the ball and dribbles inside, even in the middle third of the field, 
the kind of things that happen from that, the kind of fluidity ideas and how you start to move through the defense, I think that that produces good football. So, yeah, Christian would be great to work with. I, I think uh, when you have players like Tyler Adams and, and Weston McKinney, uh, they both play for teams that are very much about counter-pressing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, sometimes I think that's all Schalke thinks about. <laughs> to um, their detriment. Yes, to their detriment. <laughs> um, so I, I think that you could have ideas that, that now certainly mean that as you lose the ball, that those are players that have a great capacity to immediately put pressure and that now you've, you've got to build everything else in. Uh, the greatest challenge in all of that is uh, having central defenders who are comfortable playing with space behind. And, you know, when you get to uh, the international level, uh, and, uh, especially if, you're, you know, if you play against France and now Mbappe is up against you, you know, then you have the challenge of uh, are we comfortable leaving that much space behind? Yeah. Um, but, you know, for me, those are exciting things to think about. I have one more question, and it's something that we personally have, I would say, discussed and argued at times, but mm-hmm. have you started to incorporate more data as part of the information that you process uh, here at LA? Or is it still you know, sort of like, I know you incorporate new ideas, but like, is data part of that? Or you know, do you kind of leave that alongside and you're still adapting to the new era? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think that, that you have that quite right. Um, I'm always interested in data. But uh, what I think I've always tried to do with you and with others that I've worked with is to challenge where, does it, where did that data come from, all right? Is it accurate? Um, can, I, can it be linked with video so I can actually see, in certain cases, Bob Bradley's a, eyes. examples of, of what I see? <laughs> yeah. Versus then what kind of data we're collecting. So, uh, so, so for me, and then I, I think when you have some version of, of a game model, that you try to come up with data that fits your game model, that fits the kind of situations that you're trying to create. So, uh, you know, I'm constantly trying to challenge our people with uh, where did we lose the ball? How did we lose it? Uh, at the moment that we lose it, uh, are we in position to go after it and win it back right away? Uh, if we are in position, do we see it and do we do it? And then what comes of it? Um, or in other situations, if we lose the ball and we're not in a good position to go after it, do we still try? Do we suffer? So, so I would try to, to come up with... Um, data that, that fits the kind of situation that we are trying to work on every day. Sure. And as I said, you, your ideas and, and you kind of poking holes at what was available at the time in 2015 you know, caused Datsbomb itself to develop new data that better reflects your view of the game or coaches' view of the game. And it's not perfect yet, but, you know, it's, a, it's certainly a work in progress. Sure. No, I mean, look, for me... Uh... In order for a coach to uh, utilize data, he has to understand it. He has to understand where it comes from. Comfort. Uh, You have to then create the kind of dialogue with uh, people like yourself. Uh, Ask questions. 
challenge, you know. Uh, you know, even in the in the in expected goal debate and and everything, there are still uh, moments where somebody will come up to me after a game and talk about expected goals, and and I will quickly say that for one game, I'm not sure how it all works because uh, I would need to know. What was the expected goal when it was 0-0? What was the expected goal when it got to be 1-0 or 0-1? Because those are things that ultimately change how the game gets played. Sure. And so uh, I wouldn't spend too much time on what expected goal would look like in a game uh, other than, okay, are we creating chances? Are we giving up chances? How are we giving up chances? Yeah. Right? Important things like that. But then over the course of a season, two seasons um, well you're trending obviously matters and and there's data that shows like you're pressing and where you're pressing and how high you are and all that type of stuff and you care about that on like a game-to-game -game basis yes and you can either get that directly from the video or you can get it from the data and the video hopefully the same thing yes uh, and those type of things do matter because they fit your game model yes and and all of this kind of wraps together to say you know what type of chances did we create where are we losing the ball and and that is you know if we get it right then the data and the video should be the same thing? I think so. Yeah. No, and, and look, I, uh, as a coach, you're always, you're digging deep into your team. You're, you're trying to find a way to take uh, ideas, connect them to what you do in training, and then ultimately make sure that that's helping you play uh, at a high level and be a successful team. So I think that's the hardest part, like taking taking all this stuff that you get from matches that are chaotic and you only control half of it, and then putting that back into training and the cycles and how do we iterate and get better. And I think that's also one of the things that's been most impressive about this year. You know, having a coach for multiple years helps the players develop the mindset of the tactical system and what is my job, and and you being able to really show massive improvement uh, from last year where you were good. And this year, where you're utterly dominant, has been uh, it's been impressive to see. Well, thanks. We're going to keep working because we expect the second half of the year to be uh, more difficult. That's normal. And uh, winning games late in the season, uh, winning playoff matches in MLS, winning in the latter rounds of a cup, those those matches sometimes take on uh, slightly different forms. So we've got to keep evolving. Well, thank you very much for your time, Bob Bradley, and uh, good luck. Thanks, Ted. Good to talk to you. And that was Bob. Thanks to him and to Will for the time they gave to us, uh, talking to us about football and uh, what's going on in their organisation. We spent a thoroughly enjoyable time uh, in and around the club uh, whilst we were in LA, including watching the match, the 6-1 victory against uh, Vancouver. The stadium and the fans in the stadium were really genuinely impressive. They make a hell of a lot of noise. Uh, they sing, they dance, and they <laughs> keep going for 90 minutes. And the atmosphere in there was electric throughout. Um Really exciting organisation, a lot of good things happening down there and it was a privilege to be able to go and spend time. Anyway, we'll be back with transfers before you know it and uh, hope you enjoyed something different there with a podcast, a couple of interviews. Thanks very much, goodbye. <laughs>